Hello and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 120. Thanks for listening. Welcome back everybody. For the record, I should probably call this episode 120 Redo because of some audio issues and disruptions, repair guys and being told I have to buy a new dishwasher and repairing faucets and etc etc I have committed myself to spend a whole bunch of money today and in the process lost the first part of the recording of this podcast I tried to do earlier so I'm doing it again and had I not said anything you would be none the wiser but I don't believe in concealing anything from you the listener so yeah this is me 2.0 I guess for episode 20 Let's just get on with things, shall we? See if my day improves from here. We'll start off the episode, as we always do, with a Mad Mike Hughes update. Mad Mike, as everyone knows by now, is the limo driver in California on a never-ending, all-consuming, driven quest to prove that the Earth is flat. He intends to do this by launching himself in a rocket that he's building himself up into space, get some photos, prove the Earth is flat, maybe get the dragons that live at the edge of the earth to wave or something, and then stick it in the face of the liberal media and those lying scientists and geographers and whatnot who've been telling us all this time that the earth is a globe, and he's just gonna, he is not gonna stop until he makes his point. Well, except he is actually gonna stop, because according to his latest Facebook post, he has moved on to something else. On April 29th, he posted a photo of part of a boat? You wouldn't know that from looking at the photo, but he explains that this is the beginning of my new boat. The goal is to travel faster on water than any other man, over 400 miles per hour. The most dangerous speed record there is. Somebody in the comments, right off the bat, immediately says, what the hell, man? What about proving the earth is flat? I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Mike's response is, "Eh, I'm still working on it, but we're trying to raise money through a TV deal for the space launch. We're also looking into, into launching uh, for a space launch. We're also looking into launching from the ground. Okay. Thing is, he already did a launch that didn't prove anything. And he had a TV deal with some outfit called Noise TV. And he got mad at them, so they didn't do a very good job. And he's been selling t-shirts and pieces of the parachute that the rocket floated down with and whatnot. So is that it then? We're just going to let the Earth continue to be round? I don't know that I can go on in in this uh, global limbo. And, and I'll be honest, I don't really care about you going really fast in a boat. So, I don't know. I'll have to review with my production staff. But we may decide that uh, we're going to put the Mad Mike updates on hold for a little while. That's disappointing. But I guess my summer travel is going to be okay. I'm not going to have to worry about driving off the edge of the earth. So that's nice. What else is going on? Oh, it's Mother's Day. Happy day, all you moms. Uh, If you're listening to this as the episode goes out, of course, it is going out on Mother's Day. Um, Which means, if you haven't yet bought flowers, or a card, or made breakfast for the the mother in your life, you're pretty much screwed at this point. She's going to be really mad and not talking to you. The upside of that is, uh, in the quiet, you're going to have a lot more time to listen to podcasts. Like this one. So go into the uh, back catalog and and, uh, check out some episodes. Go check out my other show. It's Podcast Charlie Brown. Um, you and the kids might enjoy that because, uh, you know, kids are ungrateful and they probably didn't do anything for mom either. 
so it's a win-win for everybody. Um, well, mostly just me, actually. But, uh, happy Mother's Day anyway. I got some feedback on the Rampage movie episode that I did, which I guess was 118, episode 118, because of the timing when the feedback came in and when I wrapped production on that episode, I wasn't able to get this into episode 119, but uh, I'm sharing it now because a friend of the show, Sean, hi Sean, gave a very cogent and thoughtful analysis of the movie, and I wanted to share that with you guys. Sean writes, hi Bill. First off, the obligatory, it was an honor to meet you at MGC crap. So, it was an honor to meet you at MGC. Regular listeners of the show know that uh, a few weeks ago I was at the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee. I had a great time there, met lots of fun people, uh, got to tell people about the podcast. Uh, That was all good. Uh, One of the the nice things that happened was I got to meet and and hang out a little bit with uh, Sean, who uh, is a frequent contributor to the show. Most of you listening to this show... Uh, probably already knew about the Pie Factory podcast and the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast that he works on. But if you don't, go check those shows out also. Um, they are great. And, and he's a big supporter of this show. So he wrote in about Rampage. Sean writes, you had asked for opinions on the Rampage movie. Well, I saw it this after- the afternoon of the release of episode 118, the Rampage episode. The movie theater itself was jam-packed but I was one of maybe seven people who were there for Rampage. I guess everybody else wanted to see the Avengers. I think I saw it the week before Sean did. I th- Maybe Avengers was out then. Maybe that's why Rampage, when I went to see it, also was pretty dead. Uh, the 3D uh, matinee I went to on a Sunday uh, had maybe ten people in it. But now that you mention it, I'll bet that's why. Because Avengers was sucking up all the, uh, all the viewers. I still haven't seen the Avengers movie. Uh, Henry, my occasional co-host, wants to go see it. Uh, we just haven't gotten there yet. And uh, now that I've gotten the bad news about, you know, I spent a ton of money today getting faucets repaired, and I'm going to spend a ton more money getting a, a new dishwasher purchased and installed. I think our entertainment is going to consist of watching the clouds go by and you know, eat, eating lots of peanut butter sandwiches for dinner. But, you know, that's life. So, Sean continues, I have to confess... I went into the movie prepared to be disappointed, mainly because I had heard that, unlike in the video game, nobody in the film gets a, uh, nobody in the film eats a toilet. <laughs> I'd forgotten that part of the game actually. Spoiler alert: Sean says confirmed, unless maybe there's a deleted scene in which George needs some liquid refreshment. Also, I knew that the whole Scum Labs story was defenestrated. I mean, part of the enjoyment of playing the Rampage game was being completely destroyed and watching your giant mutated. Monster shrink back into an embarrassed naked human. Uh, yeah, I-, I thought that was odd too, that they jettisoned that whole um, element of the Rampage story to make the mutants just bigger versions of the wolf, the gorilla, and the uh, and the crocodile. It would have added another dimension to the movie. Maybe uh, you're going to talk about Dwayne Johnson's sidekick uh, in a minute, and I talked about him in my review. Maybe you know you make it so that that guy turns into the uh, mutated gorilla or something. That would have added another level that, that isn't there currently. So, Sean writes, One thing that did keep my hopes up, though... Uh, by the way, it's a little late now, but as I said in my in episode 118, I'm pretty freely spoiling things. So, if you still haven't seen Rampage, first of all, go see it. If you're an old game fan, particularly a Rampage fan, you need to see the movie. And, you know, and I'm not going to hold back. I haven't held back so far. 
on spoiling things. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, maybe uh, stop listening to this part of the review and skip ahead a few minutes into the podcast and then come back later and listen to it. Sean writes, one thing that did keep my hopes up, though, Brian Tolan. Well, okay, maybe he's not a thing, per se, but I'm sure you get my drift. As you know where I live... Spoiler, Sean lives in Chicago. I have easy access to, to some pretty cool arcades, and it's not unusual to see Brian Tolan hanging out at the Galloping Ghost, or perhaps another arcade, especially if there's some kind of special event happening. Let me tell you, I have never, ever seen anybody so excited in my life. He was beyond thrilled about the movie. Neither he nor anybody else with Game Refuge had any creative input with the movie, but he said... When some of the staff told him about the changes, he felt they had still done very well with the material, and he just couldn't wait for everybody to see it. He does make a brief appearance as an extra running away from the carnage in downtown Chicago. I wasn't able to spot him, but I did hear once hear him once uh, speaking very excitedly about that experience running away from imaginary monsters. I didn't see Brian Colin in, in the crowd scenes either. I, I wasn't looking for him, but that's very cool. I've never gotten to be an extra in a movie. That would be fun. And I imagine it was a kick for him to uh, not only see a, a movie on the screen based on a game that he helped create, but also uh, to, to play a tiny little part in that movie. Interestingly, Sean writes, nobody who worked on the original game is in the credits at all. The closing credits just simply say that the movie was based on the video game. While the movie plot strays from the original game plot, there are some subtle hints that are throwbacks to the movie. Energene, which was the evil, you know, bit bad, in the movie, is definitely Scum Labs, and it was nice to see that Rampage Arcade Machine in Energene's office, which I also mentioned in my review. Uh, Sean says, I did notice a second Game Refuge game in there, but couldn't get a good look. I'm guessing it was Rampage World Tour, but it could also have been Pigskin 621 AD. Uh, I didn't notice another uh, arcade cabinet. Um, maybe when it comes out in DVD, I'll go back and look at that. Sean says, the way things end up with Energene in the end does have kind of a wink and a nod to the cartooniness other Rampage games, too. I assume you're, you're speaking specifically of, uh, spoiler again, when George tosses uh, evil energy sister person up in the air and swallows her whole. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cartoony. Sean says, there have been mixed reviews of the film, and the bad reviews were pretty harsh. I don't think this was a bad movie at all. I highly enjoyed it. I don't expect to be nominated for any Oscars, but darn it, it was a fun watch. But it did have some shortcomings. They introduced the newbie characters who seem to have a semi-flirty relationship going on, but no development on that. Uh, like I said, uh, in the beginning of the movie, Dwayne Johnson has a sidekick, who's kind of a, a nerdier uh, gorilla scientist person, and you assume that he's going to be the comic relief throughout the movie. But after the first few scenes, once stuff starts to get real with George mutating, he's pretty much just gone. I, I don't know if he goes uh, goes to lunch or... Uh, you know, takes the day off or what, but you do not see him again the rest of the movie. Same with uh, some of the students. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, uh, scientist Dwayne Johnson is showing some students around, showing them how to work with gorillas and stuff. Never see any of them again. Sean says, It seems that once the action truly begins, every character that was introduced early in the movie is forgotten about except for Davis, that was The Rock, Dr. Caldwell, and Harris. And even Harris seems to be ambiguous in terms of whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. I think if these characters were more clearly developed, the film would have been better appreciated. Yes, uh, I agree on all points. I think maybe the ambiguity around Harris's good guy, bad guy status was intentional. That was that was the effort to develop that character. Although, I think they could have done more with that as well. I think another thing that could have helped the film expanding on the is expanding on the relationships, Sean says. Something I was taught when I took improv classes some years ago was, yes, you want to think 
to be funny, you want things to be funny. After all, the classes were with comedy sports, but you also need to have some kind of relationship established. When we'd improvise scenes, the instructor would interject, make it about you. And I realized that's something about some of my favorite TV shows of late. They all had some kind of relationships that you care about. Well, Sean, I think that's pretty much the basis for, for any uh, film or book or a TV show. You need a way into the story to actually care about people, and relationships is typically the way you do that. It could be anything. It could be a romantic relationship, it could be father-son, grandpa-granddaughter, spider and pig, whatever. Uh, that's, that's your way into the, into the uh, thing that you're watching. Uh, he cites a few examples. Jim and Pam on The Office, 30 Rock had Liz Lemon in a relationship with her boss, and mentor Jack Donahue. Stranger Things had a lot going on. Mike's budding relationship with uh, Levin, Jane Hopper's long-existing yet unexplained relationship with Joyce, on and on. Mad Men was really all about Don Draper's relationship with himself. I really would have liked to have seen more development between Connor and that attractive young woman with the multicolored hair. Did they give her a name? No, because I don't remember it either. So let's just say no, there was no name. Or perhaps more of a bond between Davis and Caldwell. And the brother-sister, or the brother-sister duo that ran Energene. Instead, in terms of relationships, all we really had was Davis and George. Yeah, the brother-sister duo in particular were pretty much just comic book uh, two-dimensional, literally, in terms, in the case of a comic book. But that style of, of evil comic book company heads, right? You, you had the sister who was very cold and very uh, calculating, uh, and clearly the smart one. And then you have the brother who's kind of the dopey, whiny in this case, always eating something. Uh, that was a weird character thing to give him, but because uh, it doesn't really ever amount to anything. But it was very clearly a character thing that they specifically wrote into that character, and I don't really know why. But really, Sean says, there's a lot to love about Rampage. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I don't think he uses The Rock anymore, actually. He says, Johnson was very convincing. I believed him as being an animal lover. Fun fact, I learned from IMDB that uh, when he was signing with George, uh, when Davis did the sign that meant me, he was actually using ASL for rock. You can't not love the humor in the movie, and I'm convinced that the inclusion of the rat was an homage to the Atari Lynx version of Rampage, the only version that has Larry the Rat. The sign language thing, I told my wife when the DVD comes out, I'm going to make her watch it and tell me if he's doing the sign language correctly. She uh, uses sign language uh, typically in her day-to-day -day work uh, as a teacher with uh, uh, hearing-impaired kids, uh, so she would know. So I'm going to make her watch and, and see if the uh, producers and the writers got it right. Sean says, I do have one major beef with the movie. Uh, and this isn't a spoiler because I'm pretty sure I saw it in the trailers. But there's a problem with the way the Sears Tower collapses. The way it was constructed, it was literally impossible for the building to collapse the way it did in the movie all at once. It's not actually one building, but a series of nine sub-buildings. The way those nine towers are built and arranged, it would have taken several shots for the whole thing to fall over if it would have fallen over in the first place. Trust me, if you ever visit Chicago, you need to take the architecture tour on the river and learn this stuff. And learn this stuff. Even the locals do it. All right, I, I, I got it, Sean, I'll do it, jeez. Um, and I was glad, Sean says, to see that even though the monsters were close, they left the building where I work alone. I've never seen my hometown depicted in a movie, but I bet that would be kind of cool to sit there and, and uh, note all the landmarks and stuff. So I'm sure for you that added a lot, uh, an extra dimension to the uh, to the fun of the movie. Sean says, I think I could look at it this way. If you're looking for a blockbuster red carpet Hollywood dreamer Oscar extravaganza, Rampage is not for you. 
But if you just want a fun watch that despite its changes still is a nice tribute to the classic game, you'll want to see the movie. I will be honest though, he says, the thing that got me truly excited? The trailer for the next Wreck-It Ralph movie. Until another time. Yeah, I, I was excited about the Wreck-It Ralph preview also. Uh, even Henry, my occasional co-host and jaded entertainment consumer, even he said that he kind of wanted to see it. So, yeah, so we'll be looking forward to that. So Sean uh, concluded his email by saying until next time, which turned out to be very soon indeed, because later that day, I received from Sean a Rampage addendum. OMG, he said, I'm listening to the episode now, referring to episode 118 of Atari Bytes. And I totes forgot to mention, the word Sharknado came to mind several times while I was watching the movie. Uh, In my review in episode 118, if you didn't hear it, I was speculating different ways they could have done this movie. What they did is what most of these disaster movies do, which they, is they played it very straight, and they played it very serious. Ooh, this popcorn action movie is very serious. Uh, I speculated, well, maybe they could have gone the other way. Maybe they could have gone total farce and winking at the camera, which is what Sharknado does. So that was one of the ideas I had, and Sean apparently was thinking along those lines too. Sean says... It never gets nearly as ridiculous as Sharknado, but there are a few times, like, say, when someone survives a particularly nasty attack, when I'm thinking, this is a bit, Shar- bit Sharknado-ish. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, you know, the, a couple of times they, they kind of want to go there, but then they pull back and they say, no, this is a serious disaster movie with a giant gorilla. So, yeah, so I agree with you, Sean. Thanks for the addendum. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for supporting the show. If you guys out there have new thoughts or continuing thoughts about the Rampage movie, feel free to send them in. Uh, We don't get a whole lot of classic arcade game movies now, so when we get them, uh, we need to talk about them. And maybe they'll make more. I'm still crossing my fingers for that Circus Atari guy biopic. I can't wait. Or I would even go see... And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I would even go see Amadar the movie. Hell, if they want to pay me enough, I would write Amadar the movie. You hear that, Spielberg? Give me a call. Alright, well that's enough of that. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... I want my mommy! A game from Zmag. Zymag? I don't know. Doesn't matter. 1983. I'm pretty sure that's how you have to say the title of the game, by the way. I want my mommy. Because I think if you say it any other way, it just doesn't work. You could be like, I want my mommy. Which could work in a Sharknado type farce, I guess. Or you could be like, I want my mommy. Okay, yeah, actually that's kind of funny too. I guess there are other ways you could say it. Anyway, that's the game we're talking about. This is a game with a crying teddy bear on the cartridge label. It's stamped kid stuff, and the manual tells us that this is a game for eight years of age and under. Now, having said that, I will tell you that I have an eight-year-old in my house who has not actually played this game, but I I can already tell you he would be bored out of his mind. So it might actually be better to say this is a game for like six-year-olds and under. But anyway, this is what we got. And the interesting thing is they've kind of written the manual for an eight-year-old and under reader. There's the obligatory, you know, stuff about you got to hook up your video game console, you got to plug it in, you got to put the controllers on there, blah, blah, blah. We're using the joysticks 
for this. So you can apparently play a two-player game, which I haven't tried yet. If all of the above has been properly completed, you're ready to play. Good luck. Next paragraph is, Teddy want mommy. Poor Teddy. He's had a bad dream and now wants his mommy. How about giving him a hand? Steer him toward the magical stardust ladders. Ooh. Help him avoid the nasty dream demons who try to block his path. Mom's sending special kisses to help him out too. Now, if the little guy can just make it up a couple of big mountains, he'll get a big bear hug. Alright, Zmag, Zymag, is lying to children. Because I played this game a little bit today. There ain't no mountains in this game. Just saying. We're told to move Teddy, all you have to do is push the joystick left or right. If you think Teddy should go up to the next level, just move him on top of a flashing dot. Press the action button on your controller and push the joystick up. See? You should hear a neat rising sound. If you think Teddy should go down a ladder, just put him over the top of it and push the joystick down. First of all, it took me longer than it should have, perhaps, to figure out how to activate the little ladders. I finally figured out if you look really closely at the level, and the levels, by the way, are basically catwalks. You know, you go across horizontally. The board looks a hell of a lot like Donkey Kong. But the ladders are not there for you. You have to activate them and make them go up. And you do that by stepping on these barely visible little buttons on the floor. Poor design, in my opinion. Anytime you want to start a game, all you have to do is press the Game Reset switch on your game console. You're trying to get Teddy back to his mommy as fast as you can. The lower the number at the top of the screen, the faster you got there. On the TV screen, you can see how many times, uh, how many tries Teddy has left. Note, they don't say lives, they say tries. If there's one picture of Teddy, you have one try left. If there are three pictures of Teddy, you have three tries left. Get it? That was in the menu. That's not me. They actually write, get it? Question mark. You also have a kiss from Mommy to help you when you're in trouble. It's the little colored block floating around. If you make Teddy run into it, he'll become strong enough to hit those mean dream demons and knock them out. To get to the apple at the top of the screen, which is just sitting in the place that Donkey Kong would, first you have to put up all put up all the stardust ladders. Meaning even if you're not going to use it, you still have to activate it before you can finish the level. Then you climb up to the top one. You climb up the top one to get to the apple. Then you should see the next screen with Teddy's mom trying to hug him. Try to put all the ladders up, then get Teddy to his mommy. Remember, all the Stardust ladders must be in place to reach the top. It's a good idea not to leave too many undone below. On the first mountain, you'll be safe from the dream demons on the top of the ropes. What ropes? I don't see ropes or mountains in this game. I'm very confused. But that apparently is how you play I Want My Mommy from Zmag. The internet tells me that this game was released exclusively to North America. The game was given the kid stuff panel on the cover art, meaning it was aimed at gamers under the age of 9. Manual, like I said, actually said 8. Bootleg versions of the game were sold around the world as Open Sesame, Apples and Dolls, Teddy Apple, and Orsino Esperto. The August-September 1983 issue of Video Games Player called the game great for little kids, but bad for everyone else. OneMoreCastle.com, in their Atari Poop segment, wrote, Well, if this title doesn't automatically convince you that this game is 100% wholesome, then the box art certainly will. That would be the uh, teddy bear that I mentioned. This author writes, To be honest, I'm not even sure why I felt this game was worthy of an article. 
There's nothing objectionable about it. The creators didn't all commit suicide for unexplained reasons after its release. No one from the CIA inserted some subliminal messages. Even the instruction manual is perfectly suited for children. Hell, it's even written in a way to make it sound like it's addressed to a six-year-old. I mean, there couldn't be anything offensive in a game starring a character named Teddy who's had a nightmare and just wants to find his mommy. There's nothing wrong with Teddy needing to set up dream ladders and avoid the nasty dream demons who will send him tumbling down. Plus, the game only has two levels, one where you climb up to an apple. Apples are wholesome, unless you're allergic to them. And a second where Mommy's at the top. So yeah, everything is perfectly legit. Nothing to see here, folks. See you next week. Oh, and then he has this whole theory about how the uh, little buttons on the floor that you have to press are actually, I'll paraphrase here, are actually, uh, uh, well, Viagra, basically. And how the dream demons look like uh, women with pigtails wearing skirts. Yeah, and it, it, his theory gets weirder from there. Uh, I'll let you draw your own mental pictures if you like. I don't usually uh, talk about prices on this show uh, to get cartridges and whatnot, but I only mentioned it today because I found a website I didn't know about called GameValueNow.com that promises to tell you the values now, so to speak, uh, for various Atari cartridges. For loose carts, whenever this was updated, I have no idea when this is updated last, for loose carts of I Want My Mommy, they're saying they go for, on average, $28.97 for the whole, you know, carton box, I guess, $100.16. Basically, that's their conclusion from reviewing eBay listings. So there you go. As you know, this episode is coming out on Mother's Day. Mother's Day, for those of you who don't know or are willfully ignorant, is a celebration honoring the mother of the family, as well as motherhood, maternal bonds, and the influence of mothers in society. Different parts of the world celebrate on different days, of course, this year, 2018. And apparently in most parts of the world, it's usually in May or March. In America, it's in May, and this year it's on May 13th. Today, if you're listening to this when this episode comes out. In the United States, celebration of Mother's Day began in the early 20th century. It is not related to the many celebrations of mothers and motherhood that have occurred throughout the world over thousands of years, such as the Greek cult to Sybil, the, Roma- uh, the Roman festival of Hilaria, or the Christian Mothering Sunday celebration, originally a commemoration of Mother Church, not motherhood. However, in some countries, Mother's Day has become synonymous with these older traditions. The U.S.-derived version of Mother's Day has been criticized, even early on, by its founder, Anna Jarvis, for having become too commercialized. As Linus said about Mother's Day. Not only getting too commercial, it's getting too dangerous. The modern holiday of Mother's Day was first celebrated in 1908 when Anna Jarvis held a memorial for her mother at St. Andrew's Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia. St. Andrew's Methodist Church now holds the International Mother's Day Shrine, and Jarvis's campaign to make Mother's Day a recognized holiday in the United States began in 1905, the year her mother, Ann Reeves Jarvis, died. Ann Jarvis was a peace activist who cared for wounded soldiers on both sides of the American Civil War and created Mother's Day work clubs to address public health issues. Anna Jarvis wanted to honor her mother by continuing the work she started and set aside a day day to honor all mothers because she believed a mother is the person who has done more for you than anyone in the world. In 1908, the U.S. Congress rejected a proposal to make Mother's Day an official holiday, joking that they would also have to proclaim a mother-in-law day. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Har har har. But by 1911, all U.S. states observed the holiday. And then in 1914, Woodrow Wilson signed a proclamation designating Mother's Day, held on the second Sunday in May, as a national holiday. Although Jarvis was successful in founding Mother's Day, she became resentful of the commercialization of the holiday. By the early 20s, 
Hallmark Cards and other companies had started selling Mother's Day cards. Jarvis believed the companies had misinterpreted and exploited the idea of Mother's Day, and that the emphasis of the holiday was on sentiment, not profit. So she organized boycotts of Mother's Day and threatened to issue lawsuits against the companies involved. She thought people should just send their mothers handwritten letters expressing love and gratitude instead of buying gifts and pre-made cards. She protested at a candy makers convention in Philadelphia in 23 and at a meeting of American War Mothers in 25. By this time, carnations had become associated with Mother's Day, and the selling of carnations by the American War Mothers to raise money angered Jarvis, who was arrested for disturbing the peace. So there you go. A happy little Mother's Day story about how much the founder of Mother's Day really hated Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. All right. Well, after the break, the moms of the world on this day would probably prefer some peace and quiet. Instead, we're going to play video games. Loudly. I'm such a bad son. For all you mothers out there, literal and figurative, and I know lots of you, this one is for you. some snappy music. Very nursery rhyme-ish appropriate for this game. Alright, so the first thing you notice is that it looks very... Uh, the grid looks very Donkey Kong-ish, right? You got the levels and the ladders. The difference being, of course, you gotta actually set up the ladders yourself. Okay, here's the thing about that... I don't, don't remember what they called it. The square little power pellet thing. Um, you, know, you, you jump on it, I guess it's supposed to be a levitating thing. First of all, it doesn't levitate you. And secondly, uh, it lasts for about 1.2 seconds. So unless you're standing next to a demon right when you hit it, you're not going to be able to punch any... Uh, right when you hit the little square thing, you're not going to be able to punch any demons. Because your power is not going to last that long. That, I think, would be totes frustrating for... Uh, the under 8 set, uh, I'm sure of that because I'm well above that and it frustrates me. How come you can't jump off the platform? You get to the end, how come you can't just jump down to the next one? You have to go all the way to the ladder. I guess the ladder business is supposed to give you something non-violent to do rather than having to kill the demons, but why not let you jump over the demons? You know, you gotta get to the top, where, the, in this case, the apple, or in Donkey Kong, you know, Donkey Kong is, uh, again, very similar to that game. Um, there's some other game I'm thinking of, uh, but I can't quite place it. Maybe I'm thinking of Birder Time? Just to, in the sense of having to outrun all these creatures while you're trying to assemble something, in this case, the ladders? I don't know. Hey, I got to punch a demon. That was kind of cool. Punching the demon. That should be a thing. Wow, the demon just kind of stays there all punched out. You can walk through him. Nah, 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 nah. Hey, I'm stomping on a demon carcass. Woo! Right. One more ladder on this level. Uh oh. Nope. I outsmarted the demon. Ha ha ha! 
and I'm hiding on the ladder from the demon above and the demon below. I've been there many times. Alright, I'm gonna quickly... Oh, you are gonna double bat, you sneaky demon! I'm confused, where are the mommy kisses? I was promised some mommy kisses! I've said that a few times too. Okay, that's an annoying noise. Come on, demon. Alright, forget it. I'll go over here. Ah, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Because if there's nothing little kids like more than skin and kitties. Alright, well this is level two. Level two, uh, colors are slightly different. Uh, as with Donkey Kong, it doesn't appear that the gameplay is that much different. Uh, so, uh, it's Betty, Betty by time, little children. Back to you in the studio. So, here's the thing about I Want My Mommy. I don't know that this feels like a kid's game, per se. It just feels to me like a really bad version of Donkey Kong. I guess if you're like four or five, and you want, you know, you see your older siblings playing video games, and you want to play a video game too. First of all, I kind of feel like most of the Atari games in that era, 70s and 80s, are easy enough that pretty much anybody who can hold the joystick and comprehend the idea of pushing the button to fire at the uh, enemy or, or whatever, or jump, or whatever. As long as you're, you're old enough that you have the dexterity to do that, and you understand the concept of doing that, I think you can play pretty much any Atari game, maybe with some exceptions. So, you know, it, I try to look at this game as, would little kids like it? And yeah, I guess you would, probably if you're a little, little kid. But is it a good game? I mean, I guess. It's been so simplified, overly simplified, I think. For its audience. Certainly, by the time you're eight, like I said, I have an eight-year-old, he would be bored with this game after the first try or two. So, I don't know, it's hard to, re hard to rate this game. Because on the one hand, I want to say, well, it's pretty lame. The gameplay is way too simple. But on the other hand, that's kind of what they were going for. I just think they were going for the wrong thing. Yeah, I guess that's, that's what I think. They achieved what they wanted to do, but what they wanted to do isn't what they should have done. Well, I don't know if that made any sense or not. Anyway, if you have thoughts about, I want my mommy. No, I didn't say thoughts about my mommy. Don't talk about my mother, man. But <laughs> thoughts about this game, let me know. Maybe some of you have little kids who really like this game. Um, maybe not. I don't know. Let me know. All right. So, it's Mother's Day. I'm a cheap bastard. So, for my mommy and my wife, who's a mommy... This is my gift to all the mothers out there. A story that I cobbled together over the course of the past week for which to share with all of you, the mothers of the world. You're welcome. Tom Teddy Tedderson tried for years to gently encourage people to call him T&T &T, since all three of his names started with T. No, he never did. Like the explosives, he'd say when, after half a margarita, he got a little loose. Kaboosh! He'd add for effect, sometimes spitting, margarita. The other people at the table would laugh politely and just go on calling him what everyone called him, Teddy. His mother gave him that nickname as a kid. Had, in fact, wanted to name him Theodore Thomas Tedderson. His father, though, pointed out that between his mother and him, Teddy only had one grandparent who hadn't been gunned down by the feds for trafficking illegal narcotics or incarcerated for being number four in a prominent crime syndicate 
or in the case of Grandmama Betty, selling secrets to the Soviets, smuggled in a secret compartment in her brassiere. The one upstanding grandparent was Teddy's mom's dad, Tom, who ran a corner drugstore for 40 years. The shadiest thing he ever did was sneak a puff of reefer when he was 17 at a Mel Torme concert. Tom was a good man, questionable taste in music aside, and it might be nice to honor that, so the baby was named Tom. His mother, employing these subversive tendencies of Betty, without need of hiding anything in her brassiere, called the baby Teddy anyway. They were close, little Teddy and his mom. That is, they were until, well, until she disappeared. Teddy blamed himself for that. The demons within could not be contained. As a kid, Teddy had a lot of bad dreams. Demons with their horns and green teeth and sales pitches for unnecessary goods and services stomped through his subconscious, terrifying him. He would awaken screaming, I want my mommy! And every night, she came. Until one night, she didn't. After a particularly bad dream, little Teddy's voice was hoarse from screaming before his bedroom door finally burst open and his father stumbled into the room. He was unshaven and sweaty. Where's mom? Teddy asked. His father considered this for a moment. She's out, he finally said. Then he got his son a drink of water and patted his back until he went back to sleep. This turned out to be the wrong move. Teddy was immediately back in demon land. Creatures writhed in flaming pits of acid. Catwalks stretched overhead up into the darkness. Ladders going here and there he knew not where. Teddy screamed for his mother as he always did. He only heard the sound of the advancing demons. Looked around frantically for a reassuring kiss that never came. Little Teddy ran to the only place he could run. Up. The clang of boy-sized sneakers on metal rungs galvanized the demons. Teddy's small stature worked to his advantage, and he stayed close to the ground, the metal catwalk beneath him. He screamed again for his mom. And this time, for the first time in a long while, she answered. I'm here now, Teddy, she said. Don't be afraid. Wait, that's stupid advice, Teddy. Be very afraid, but I'll help you as best I can. Teddy was so taken aback that he slowed his pace. Demon Claws tore at the leg of his pajamas, the leg of the pajamas ripping free as Teddy broke out of the demon's grasp. Like drops of rain on an arid landscape, Mother's love floated down in the form of little kisses. The boy was energized, his fear still present, but at bay. He finally made it through the nightmare maze of catwalks to safety, a glorious, comforting apple waiting for him at the end of his journey. The demons, for now, were safely behind him. Mom, he called. Mom, where are you? But there was no response this time. Teddy screamed again, waking himself up like always. But this time his mother wasn't holding him. Instead, Teddy's room was awash in red light from outside. Many people were talking downstairs. There was lots of activity. The police talked to Teddy's dad a long time that night. Aunt Becky even had to stay with Teddy for a few hours while his dad went to the police station. He got to go home eventually, but they never found Teddy's mom. A special kind of sad came to live with Teddy then, and followed him everywhere. But, the nightmare stopped after that. Now Teddy's dream. Now Teddy dreams about his mom. They talk a lot in their dreams, not about what happened to her. That's too sad. Instead, Teddy tells her how he grew up, about his job, and his friends. And his mom listens, 
She even calls him TNT sometimes. Kaboosh! And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, things that aren't Stitcher and iHeartRadio. I'm drawing a blank right now, but there are many podcatchers, and this show is on them. If for some reason you find one that this show isn't on, let me know, and I will try to figure out a way to get it on there, because that's how much I love you. And remember, call your mom. It is crucial that you call her and tell her to listen to Atari Bytes and to go on iTunes or what is it now? Apple Podcasts and leave a review of this show. Let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, the moms of the world, not the most computer savvy. Uh, You want to make it easier for them to find this show on Apple Podcasts. Please go do it. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page. Um, and I hope you will consider doing that. You can also pick up, go play some old games, they've missed you. Shirts uh, and other things at our Zazzle.com store, capital A, capital B, underscore pod, underscore store. But you know what, you just go to Zazzle and type Atari Bytes, and you can find our stuff. Links to all of this, Patreon and whatnot, are in the show notes as well. Our website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally on Twitter at Carnival of Glee. Check out my random weirdness on Instagram, too. And don't forget to check out my other show, It's Podcast Charlie Brown, for all your Charlie Brown and Snoopy needs. There is not an aspect of the Peanuts universe that we don't talk about at one time or another on that podcast. So if you're even a passing fan of the Peanuts gang, Go listen to that show. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Space Cavern. Alright, so what do we know from that title? There's space, and there's a cavern. Is it a cavern in space? Or is it a cavern with lots of space within? I am very confused. So many questions. And we will try to answer them, or not, on the next episode. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.